Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and I am so excited for the guest that I am having on the show today. Her name is Daniela Messinek Young, and she is an American author and speaker who was raised in the religious cult, the Children of God, and she later served as an intelligence officer for the U.S. Army for over six years, making the rank of captain, and became one of the first women in the U.S. Army history to conduct deliberate ground combat operations when she volunteered to serve on a female engagement team and receive the presidential volunteer service award. Daniela lives with her husband and daughter in Maryland and holds a master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology from the Harvard Extension School. And she recently published her memoir called Uncultured, And I am so excited to talk about her story and also her book and just her journey. I know there's so much to dig into, but thank you so much, Daniela, for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Oh, you're so, so welcome. I've been watching your work for a while, and I I know I reached out several months back to your team to have you on. So I'm glad that we could work this out. But for people who aren't familiar with the children of God, could you explain the background and teachings of this cult? Absolutely. So the children of God started in 1968 when a sort of failed up to this point preacher found his moment, right, in what we now know was kind of this era of cults hidden inside of the hippie movement and kind of this complete restructuring of society and societal norms. And I like to explain that what David Berg did, who's the man that became our prophet, was that he took your sort of regular run-of-the-mill evangelical Christianity, which his mother was an evangelical revivalist, pretty famous in Florida. And he took their that religion with all of its control especially around sex, right, which we have through the purity movement, and he just flipped it. So instead of we don't have sex at all, it was sex is great, right? The 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 sin, the con that the devil got over on us was thinking that sex was the sin. And really, God loves sex, and God loves all of us, and sex is the way we show that. Right. And of course, they briefed it all as kind of free love. What I really call it is forced polyamory, because everybody in this organization was expected to have sex with everybody else. And this is essentially why they call it the sex cult. But, you know, to give kind of this quick synopsis, right, it started off as faith, love, Jesus, and getting all of these people that were seeking a mission and a purpose in life. And within a decade, it became, you know, this closed off cult using religious prostitution, preaching pedophilia for God, and pretty much obsessed with the apocalypse. And that decade that it took, like, that is the really fascinating part of how people get walked into control in such a strong way that they can't leave, even when their prophets start saying incredibly insane things. And so I just want viewers to know children were forced to do sexual things in this cult and 
what age did that start for children? So, all right. So it, it wasn't really like there was a formal age. So my mom was one of the first, I believe, 10 children born in the children of God. My grandfather still manages the money to this day. So they were sort of all up very close to the leadership. And when the children started reaching in, in my mom's day, it was 12, right? The prophet basically had this theory that when you are able to menstruate, you are then intended to have children. And so they would become considered like full adults, but it was always kind of creeping in younger and younger and younger to the point where like when my mom was 13, this prophet had all of these leaders send their daughters to be specially trained by him and then he married all of them. And these girls ranged from 14 all the way down to three. So th Ooh. there really wasn't, you know, I would say sort of any kind of age. It was just as the children came along, the children got incorporated into the sexual beliefs of the group. Mm. And the prophet eventually used his stepson who was what they ended up calling Jesus babies, which were, he was prostituting all of the women to bring money and followers to the group. And so then any of the babies that came as a result of that were Jesus babies. Mm -hmm. And so he raised his stepson as this quote, sexually liberated child. And they produced a book that has been called the worst cult artifact in existence. And it's a 762 page, basically pedophilia manual. Mm. And this is what we were all sort of raised with. Um, you know, so this is again, one of those things that when you look at cults and people will always try to say, oh, it wasn't the group, it wasn't the beliefs, it got distorted, it was a bad apple. And in our cult, from our cult, I just like to turn in them and say, you know, you all read the Davidito book, like you all, listened to your leader say these things my stepfather illustrated it right and you didn't oh. walk away so from both sides i think it shows right like the cognitive dissonance people are willing to live with when they really believe in something mm -hmm. but it also shows just how much people will explain away to themselves anything bad right it can never be the group it's always mm -hmm. it's somewhere got twisted but really the con is it was always bad all along right hmm. yes and so I remember when I watched a documentary about the children of God and just watching it in my mind I'm like oh my gosh what can make people just accept that and i know it's you know indoctrination is a slow process and like you said cognitive dissonance group pressure but from what you've researched and even experienced what did that indoctrination process look like for people to not even speak up against this yeah, and I'm so glad you asked that, right? So I'll take you to the prologue of Uncultured, which is me at basic training. Mm -hmm. And I am holding, doing this famous thing they do to you at basic training where you're holding the 72 or 50 pound duffel bag above your head for like two or three hours, right? And research shows us this is important for two reasons. One, this is an impossible task, right? They are doing it for the purpose of breaking your will. Two, where I think is really, really important, it's an irrational task, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I can pretty much guarantee that you have never gone outside and held 50 pounds above your head for three hours. No. And research shows us that once you do an irrational task for your like high contact, high control group, you are very likely to do more irrational things and not to question. Right. And there's a, a cult scholar, Dr. Yanya Lalich, who has a theory of this called bounded control. So it's no, it's not brainwashing the way people think, but it is you you do get to a point where you are so under control that you could not act any differently. And one of the reasons this whole book is paralleled to the military is because I think that's an easier, more accessible way for us to understand how this happens, right? Mm -hmm. So in, mm -hmm. in this prologue, in my first day of basic training, I'm like, oh, I just joined another cult, right? Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, 
right? People forget about the how much recruiting goes into mm -hmm. getting people into cults, right? Like we focus on the joiners, like how could they believe that? How could they do that? Mm -hmm. But, and when you look at the military as a parallel, it's really obvious, right? Like you're mm -hmm. heavily, heavily recruited in, yeah. in mm -hmm. both the children of God and the US military. You don't get to sleep for the first 72 hours that they have their, their hooks into you. You're never left alone, right? So it's this oh. important, you're isolated, held away from the world, but you're not ever alone with your own thoughts right i mean there's just all of these different things and actually in my next book i'm going to kind of really dig into these like what each of these things are that gives us control mm -hmm. right but i i really like to remind people that you know when the children of god started it was just your run of the mill new cool religious startup and it took a decade right, for these followers to be so under control that they didn't walk away when it was literally sacrificing their own children. Um, mm. You know, that wasn't something that happened really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. And there's something that I'm starting to call when we talk about people's beliefs that I'm starting to call the sacred assumption when it comes to cults. And this sacred assumption, if you believe it, you'll justify anything, right? So in Children of God, the sacred assumption was this man, David Berg, is the prophet of God, right? And so as long as we hold that assumption, we are going to justify anything that he says. Um, and he used the Bible, which is, you know, a great tool for people that want to manipulate people, unfortunately, to like base their stuff in the Bible, and so from the outside or even afterwards, if you were a part of it, if you look at it and you go like, none of this makes sense, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense without that sacred assumption, mm -hmm. you know, yes. and this is where like the crack in the brainwashing and, and all of this stuff comes in. And this is also where we see the research where the term cognitive dissonance comes from is that even after a failed apocalypse, a lot of people do, do not pack up and go home because their sacred assumption, and this now is me projecting into this research, their sacred assumption is still intact, right? This person is still the prophet. God just changed his mind for some reason, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And so literally inside of this sacred assumption, you can justify anything mm -hmm. you want. Mm -hmm. Okay, wow. Okay, there's so much. I'm writing notes down because there's so much I want to dig into. Um, so yeah, so what you're explaining, yes, this assumption that this is the truth, this is the way or the sacred assumption. So we have to make it work with all these things that are contradicting what is happening. We have to make it fit. We can't really critically think or think outside of this belief system. And I think something that I want you to explain, um, is that I feel like there's a lot more compassion and understanding for people who are born into cults because it's our entire world it's all that we've known but could you explain like the mind control process for people who are recruited into cults and I feel like they get a lot of like bad rep and a lot of criticism um, for re being recruited into a cult. So could you explain kind of the mind control, like what it is, the process of it, and like the subtlety and like kind of like the the covert tactics? Yes. So, you know, one of the first things I will say is that regular people, regular people always assume they know a lot about cults. Mm -hmm. And they always assume that people join cults because they're poor, because they're destitute, because they have no other options. Really the same reason we assume people join the military, right? But mm -hmm. research shows us that people join cults because they are seekers, right? I like to remind people that a Harvard-educated lawyer died at the standoff in Waco, the Branch Davidian standoff in Waco, right? Like, mm. these people are not dumb. They are seeking. And there's this is also a reason why we see cults move in eras throughout, like, history, 
It's because in times of social confusion, when we're pulling down systems and when we're realizing that like the current systems do not work for our world, we want to seek something new, right? So I do like to say like, if you're an adult who reads books, you know, you're likely to yeah. join a cult, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have ever thought that like parts of our world are messed up and you'd like to see something revolutionary or different, mm-hmm. you're the type of person that is likely to join a cult. And then after that, um, you know, the model of, of domestic violence is a really interesting one to use and cult scholars will actually call abusive relationships one-one cults. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my book, I go from cult to mm-hmm. sort of toxic relationship, emotionally abusive relationship in college mm-hmm. to the military, right? Mm-hmm. And I think like a lot of these patterns are very similar. You know, when the U.S. Army wanted to put together modern day basic training, they consulted psychologists who studied abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I do agree with you that there's definitely, and there should be, I think, more sympathy and more concern for the children born into these cults, Yeah, especially because we are raised without any sense of self or any mm-hmm. sort of normalcy to go back to. But for people that join these cults, right? Like nobody joins a cult. They're joining some group that they think is doing something amazing for the world. And slowly, slowly, they are walked in to this control. So, you know, if you're the kind of person that understands that you should never judge a victim of domestic violence for any of it or for how long they stayed, that sort of very similarly applies to cult members. And, you know, it's especially, and again, the military gives us a useful sort of thing for this. You know, I say, both in the U.S. Army and the Children of God, it took you six months to become a fully fledged member. And in that time, you are actively, knowingly being systematically stripped down and you are being asked to program yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And this is one of the things where I think it's very different the way children are programmed and the way as adults, like we buy into our own programming. Mm. So you know, thought-stopping cliches are a big part of how adults justify things to themselves, which are statements that a group uses all the time that shut down critical thought, right? So trust the prophet, the end is near, it is what it is, comes straight out of a cult called Synanon, and boys will be boys is one of my favorite ones. Mm. Um, But with, with organizations. And when we talk about our own programming, I think one of the most insidious ones is you signed up for this, or you knew what you signed up for, right? And this really puts us, it shuts down critical complaint, and it puts us in this all or nothing mindset of, you know, if I think something in basic training is really messed up, like they aren't giving us enough fruit and they're required to by law, I'm going to be like, come on, Daniela, you signed up for this, right? Like you just got to get through this. This is, you got to play the game, right? We tell ourselves all of these things. And when you look back, you can put it all together and be like, oh yeah, that was really bad. I should have spoken up here, 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 but -hmm. you don't because again, like you've bought in at some point. And if you, if you critically question, you lose all of it at once. So you have to just keep going and keep going. Um, Yes. You know, I almost sometimes describe adult programming into a cult as like, you and I are just enjoying a nice day in a convertible driving towards a beach. And there's all these beautiful flags lining the street, waving in the breeze. We're like, this is so beautiful. This is so wonderful. And all of a sudden we get to the beach into the water and we're in the middle of a shark attack. And later everyone's like, didn't you see the red flags? And you look back and you're like, oh yeah, I see them now, right? Like there were red flags all the way along our path, but we were not looking at them that way, right? We were thinking of them in a totally different way. Mm. And so, you know, you you don't see it. Yes, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes. And so I think, I know for people listening, I think also it's important to define what a cult is and also recognize 
and dig into that cults exist on a spectrum because I've noticed in American society, there's, and I used to be this way before I started really digging into co-education, I saw it in this black and white way, like it had to be the most extreme, awful thing, and there was no in between. And people get upset at me when I call Bob Jones University a cult, or I call the independent fundamental Baptist movement a cult, um, because it hasn't gone to the extreme yet that like Jim Jones has, or even like the children of God. And so could you explain and give a definition of a cult and how cults exist on a spectrum? And like, I know you said something of like, before we started recording of like, it, it's not like, oh, a cult or not a cult, it's a spectrum. So could you kind of explain that? Yes. So, you know, I'm actually writing a book now that is, um, it's called The Culting of America, but it's really digging into this, right? And it, sort of exactly what you're saying. People will always say to me, they'll be like, oh, well, the army can't be a cult, right? Because we need it. Or they'll be like, there's obviously a difference between the sex cult and the US army. And people, like you said, will get very frustrated with me for, for saying that. So first of all, I just like, I hate definitions of cults mm -hmm. because for the very reason that as soon as you put a definition to it, a cultic toxic group will take that definition and use it to program their members as to how they are not a cult, right? Ask me <laughs> how I know. Um, and so, you know, me having grown up in one of the most obvious cult with a capital C, you know, took me two years after I had left the cult, upended my whole life to actually even realize that I had been in a cult. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing I've noticed is like, look, you can you can put me in any organization for an hour and I can do five minutes of stand-up about how they're a cult, mm -hmm. right? And so <laughs> really I am presenting, I'm developing like this 10-part definition of cults, which is a lot of the things you think of, right? Which is you got to have your isolation. You've got to have a leader, although QAnon is making cult scholars question that now. <laughs> um, you know, you have to have this kind of black and white view of the world, which that's just in American culture in general, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's these different things, but there's also a journey that you go on, right? So it's not just like the list of a group, right? So for example, you can give me the best, most defined list of a cult that the children of God meets every single part of it, like exploiting members' labor, like having this, we're good guys, you're the bad guys view of the world, limiting outside contact with the world. And like the US Army, when they go away to war or when a unit goes away to training, they fit every single part of that definition, right? So <laughs> I think one of the most important things to understand about the word cult is that it's become a slur for anything we don't like or understand. So it's mm -hmm. kind of not actually that useful. What I find useful and what I say, I want people to take away from uncultured is once you've seen the like this strong of parallels between one of the world's worst cults and the US Army, then you'll start to realize that it's not just a yes we are, no we're not a cult. And I want you to question like every group you're in, like is this a cult? Mm -hmm. um, and this is actually, uh, one of my rules for for good groups that aren't cults is like you have to ask yourself, is this group a cult? And if you can't laugh about it, like try asking anyone from Bob Jones or try mm -hmm. asking Mormons, right? Like mm -hmm. my dad is a literal comic artist and comic man. But if you say mm -hmm. the children of God is a cult, he will not be laughing or smiling, you know? Yeah, I got you. So really, I think it is partially just this black and white, right? Like anytime you think your group cannot be the bad guys, you're probably more likely to already be down that path, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's it's in all of my time of understanding and studying extremism, mm -hmm. realizing that basically anytime you're convinced that you're right, you have a huge blind spot. 
you know um yeah. that's just sort of a military intelligence thing right there you know anytime mm-hmm. you're convinced you're right you have a blind spot that is dangerous to you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i think the reason we only talk about the cults that are suiciding or raping children or these other terrible things is because like like we're only comfortable to talk about cults as completely separate from us. So they have to do really, really, really bad stuff that we can tell ourselves, I would never do that, right? Um, But if it's somewhat of a normal group with just some extremism on the side, that can't be, that can't be a cult, right? Because then we have to start questioning our cults and our groups. Oh, yes. And I think it's interesting because I get what you're saying about the word cult being used as a slur and it can shut down critical thinking. So I think like I've heard people say um, a system of control or a high control group because it it doesn't bring along, I guess, the connotation that the word cult does. Um, And and I think too, um, cults, they exist on a spectrum or really a spectrum of like influence of how much they control people's behavior. And so what is fascinating to me also is that, you know, you grow up in this cultic environment and you go into another cultic environment and what was your process of realizing, oh my gosh, the military is a cult and I just cult hopped because this is familiar. I know how to deal with this. What was that like? Okay, I don't hear anything. Oof. Yep, sorry, muted myself. Um, no, so first of all, I'm actually writing about this right now about how I think like maybe all of us cult babies go have second cult experiences Mm -hmm. even though we are trying to free ourselves that is what we know um my experience you know partially again I joined the military because of a toxic relationship um but at the time when I was joining the army I was like I know what I'm doing right like I'm doing this for my freedom I'm doing this because I owe something to the country. I had all of these reasons for it. Now, when I look back and knowing what I know, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I joined the army for all of the same reasons that like my grandfather joined a cult in the sixties, right? Which I was, I had spent six years on the outside. I had lost my whole world in one shot and Mm -hmm. I had really struggled. Like I'd been really successful at school because many of us were raised with heavy, heavy doses of perfectionism. And we throw ourselves into that, right? But I struggled socially and I didn't know what to do next. And like, here was an organization that was going to give me training and give me a uniform and give me a crew. And in the military, we literally say, you know, all you have to do is be, to be successful is be in the right place in the right time in the the right uniform and never volunteer for anything, right? Like Mm -hmm. never stand out. which is impossible for women. So my sort of process of realizing this was interesting though, because when I, you know, in the prologue of uncultured, I have this realization, oh, I just joined another cult. This is not necessarily a bad thing, right? This is like, oh, I know how to do this, right? Like I know how to be a group member and like, I know how to work really hard and I know how to self-sublimate and self-sacrifice because of where I came from. You actually see all of these same things in Prince Harry's book, by the way, right? Like coming from the British royal family, another kind of total institution where you are totally controlled and he fits in well. So my first reaction was just like, oh, cool, I got this, right? Like I'm going from being a soldier in God's army to being a soldier in Uncle Sam's army. Like I can do this. The... The interesting things, right, is I don't think we talk about just how traumatic basic training is, right? Just how traumatic the process of being pulled into a group that owns you completely and then having your individuality broken down 
and rebuilt, like Mm -hmm. that is trauma. And we see and uncultured, I start having flashbacks. Like that's when my childhood trauma gets really triggered and becomes complex PTSD. Mm -hmm. Then there's also, you know, the bigger thing where like when you are operating in a total institution, a high control group, any kind of system where you don't fit, Mm -hmm. it is that much more traumatizing and it is that much harder. Right. And so a lot of the book looks at what being a woman in the military is like. Right. And eventually I'm sort of paralleling my childhood in the sex cult and my womanhood in the U.S. Army. And, you know, kind of turns out there is a lot of really scary parallels, especially around the rape culture and the threat of sexual violence and and the fact that like we mentioned, cult survivors, everyone thinks they know, right? What a cult is, what cult members are like. I get told I don't look like a cult survivor all the time. I also get told I don't look like a veteran all the time, right? And mm. like, wow. the, the real fact is, we think we know what happens to the Daughters of America when they disappear behind the high commune walls of the Department of Defense, but we have no idea. And so one of these really strong parallels was like all of this abuse is happening to all of us. It's group standard, right? Women in the army, you are told you're a bitch, a slut, or a D slur for lesbian, right? And you are treated like that from day one, but we don't talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. And that was one of like the highest parallels. And when you go to get out, right, there was so much shunning, there was so much so many other parallels. And then two, you start to see that black and white mentality that we talked about, right? Where Mm. I wanted my book to be everything. I was both a proud daughter of the 101st. I made history for women. I got a medal from the president. And you Mm -hmm. see me going out as the only woman on patrols with, you know, these 25 Americans and 15 Afghans. And you also see me being pulled aside and told to watch my back Mm. against my men, right? You also Uh. see me get assaulted downrange and not be able to do anything about it, right? So, but people don't want to necessarily hear this, right? They want you this black and white view. Are you a proud veteran or not? Mm. You know, and the answer is just not that simple. And I really did a lot of work around this in my graduate degree and walked away basically going, oh, so women in the military are an oppressed class, which means that no matter what our experience was like, no matter how proud we are of our service, we also have some trauma from being in that environment where we are so oppressed and so marginalized. Mm, mm, Yes. And so Something that's interesting to me as I've been kind of exploring in my own, like in my undergrad degree, um, root issues of high control groups or cults is I see authoritarianism, I see narcissistic institutions, and also like white supremacy or Christian supremacy. What are your thoughts on that? (laughs) So many thoughts on that. (laughs) Um, I will, I mean, I will start by saying that 20% of the defendants at January 6th, right, a domestic terrorist attack Mm -hmm. were U.S. Army veterans. And only 13% of us in the population are U.S. veterans. And if you take out the ones that can walk, it's much, much lower, right? So Mm -hmm. veterans were heavily overrepresented there. And I think that the... There's also, if you look at all of these sort of more high control religions, right? Mormons, evangelical Christians, Southern Baptists go into the military so often and usually do very well in their careers because we are programmed into that, right? And Mm -hmm. we have that, it's the same kind of control, right? And it's the same kind of control that a narcissist puts you through in an abusive relationship is the same kind of control that the military is going to put you through. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's more important to talk about the military as a cult, not Mm -hmm. less, right? Because if we just acknowledge 
that we are going through a cultic experience. Like there's so much that we can lean into to make it better, right? And make sure we aren't. Mm -hmm. You, if you are in a cultic group, but you have a good transformational leader, like I get to have in the end of uncultured, like you have a good experience. If you have a narcissistic leader, like you have a really bad cult experience, right? So it can be a huge difference just based off of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I will also tell you that in uncultured, right, the, the narcissistic, toxic, abusive man that I marry in college, who like, you can tell he's not a good guy. I get into the army. I get away from him. He stays in the army as a career, as a major, a decade later, we find out at the very end of uncultured, I'm asked to testify against him for white supremacy to be kicked out of the army. Mm. Right. And the military said to me, right. Well, captain young, if, as you say, he's been so extreme for so long because I couldn't notice it at the time. Right. But looking back, you can see all the signs. They were like, how did he do so well in the military? And I was kind of like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Like, this is what you select for, right? Mm. And in, in the best way that I can say, like, I'm not putting a good or bad necessarily on this, but like the qualities of a charismatic leader, of a take charge, of like, angry guy that you can radicalize to go conduct violence on behalf of state, which is what the military does, right? Those are the same. These might be good qualities in a soldier. But they're also good qualities in a terrorist, right? They're also qualities in a criminal. They're also qualities in a cult leader. Even for myself, when I set out to write a book and be a speaker and study group behavior, I was like, I know I'm going to be good at this because I know cult leaders, right? Like mm -hmm. all of these tactics are tools in one setting and they are weapons in another setting if people want to weaponize them. Mm. So sorry, that is my, I need to write a whole book about the links between extremism and cults and the military and Christianity. Um, yeah, <laughs> you're on the right track there. Got you. Awesome. There's definitely a lot of connections. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, one of the things I think too, about this programming is just because we go through it doesn't mean we know what happened to us. Right. So just yeah. like when we leave cults and it takes us, I think a decade of actively working on deconstruction to deconstruct, like, you got to deconstruct when you leave the military too, and you leave any sort of group that has been controlling you for so long, right? Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, they are deconstructing their experience right now, right? That's mm -hmm. what they're going through. Yeah. And so there's just so many similarities in mm -hmm. all of these processes. Yeah. And like, I, I like that you, you know, you mentioned Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, and you know, um, the book spare. How do you feel about people's backlash? to them coming out with that memoir and exposing that environment? Um, so in Uncultured, I give you the first line, right? Is the first rule of cults is you're never in a cult. Mm -hmm. And then watching the Harry and Mega saga helped me write the second rule of cults, which is we will forgive any sin, right? The cult will forgive any sin um, Prince Andrew, except leaving the cults, right? So one of my beliefs is that anytime anyone is telling you not to tell your story, you're not the one that's wrong, right? Mm. Anytime any group, especially, is trying to be like, oh, no, but she, she can't say that. Like, she didn't know or, or she wasn't, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you airing the dirty laundry, right? Or one of my favorites is when women like me are asked, Daniela, why do you have such a chip on your shoulder? We never turn it around and say like, hey, Andrew, why are you hacking at Daniela's shoulder with an ax, you know? Uh -huh. um, and so I think that one, one of my other beliefs is you should wait a decade after you leave your cults before you write your book. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm definitely interested to see like mm -hmm. how this develops. But 
the the British royal family absolutely fits the definition of a total institution. And one of the things, total institution is where you live and work separate from the rest of the world and you have a formal overlay over what you do. And by definition, one of the things about a total institution is you have to suppress your individuality for the good of the group, right? The military asks you to do that. The royal family asks you to do that. Cults ask you to do that. When you leave the group and you start deconstructing, I think by definition, you're going to have horror stories because it's always traumatic and hard to have to suppress your individuality for the sake of the group. That's why it's mm -hmm. self-sacrificing. And the group, they just doesn't want to hear that. And, and going back to the sacred assumption, I think one of these big sacred assumptions is you're supposed to sacrifice yourself, right? It's supposed to be this good thing that you do. So why are you complaining? And I, I don't think I will ever believe that there's any reason why we don't need a million memoirs from everybody in every kind of group, right? To actually mm -hmm. get a picture of what it's like. Mm. Um, and you know, something else you said where like, really early on when you said when you started your journey of studying cults, and I will tell people like you need to you need to read like five different memoirs about okay. different kinds of cults, mm -hmm. or it could be like like maybe read Uncultured. You read one about Scientology. You read mm -hmm. Harry's memoir about the British royal family, and you read like one about Christian fundamentalism and something else. You're gonna start to notice mm -hmm. the patterns. Yes, right? and, and like patterns of my. Uh -huh are the same yes. no matter what kind uh -huh. of clothes you put on them or what kind of yes. mission or purpose or why mm -hmm. you put on it those patterns are all the same yes yes and the thing is i think we had talked about before recording cult memoirs is something i want to start reading more of and i think before we recorded i told you that i could not listen or read your book I, I i read part of it but it was so triggering and it was so much and i know i have a lot more to go on my own healing journey um but thankfully like digging into co-education has kind of helped prevent me from because even like like there's so much cultic thinking going on online on tiktok and all these different things um but uh, thing something that has opened up my eyes too is like listening to the indoctrination podcast and and you know the thing is I work for the indoctrination podcast so that's part of my job is listening to these stories which is really hard sometimes but that has helped me and like you were saying like seeing for those different backgrounds you kind of get to the point where you're like oh my gosh y'all are all the same y'all aren't that original <laughs> like <Yes>. oh <laughs> Well, that's exactly right. And and for me, it's very interesting watching The Vow, right? Because mm -hmm. I think that because Nexium, so two reasons, because Nexium didn't have a God, right? I think in the US, we we're trained that when religion makes us uncomfortable, you look away. But mm -hmm. Nexium was a secular group and it was full of shiny Hollywood people. So because of that, like there was a lot more care and understanding how it happened. Mm -hmm. But as I'm watching it, right? I'm like, the children of God did this exact thing 50 years ago. Like it is the exact same patterns as you're being walked in, right? Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we can't recognize those patterns really is crazy. Um, and mm -hmm. another thing on what you were saying, right? That you know, and I think all writers of trauma stories have this kind of like, it's hard to be told because people be like, oh my God, I loved your book. And you're like, thanks. But also that's 300 pages of the worst things that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. But what I have started to realize, because I also study this and I also deconstruct myself, is that people that love cult books or people like when we're drawn to memoirs or even fictional stories of trauma, it's usually because we are trying to figure out how to tell our own stories, right? Mm -hmm. We are trying to sort out our own things. And it's through reading like somebody else's similar experience. Like I never in a million years would have thought there were so many similarities between regular Mormon children and mm -hmm. children raised in the sex cult, children of God, but so many similarities with ex-Mormons, right? Mm -hmm. So, and it's, the details are different, but that experience, right? Like that, that base emotion that mm -hmm. you went through. 
So before I was able to say the words, you know, oh my God, in the children of God, we were human trafficked. We were labor trafficked. We were sexually Mm. abused, right? These different kinds of things. We were enslaved as children. I had to read all of these memoirs of survivors of all of these crazy sort of historical atrocities to begin to understand, right? Because the trauma makes its mark and the trauma comes out in us no matter what, but until we understand why and, and part of surviving scenarios that produce so much trauma is usually telling ourselves it wasn't that bad or everyone was going through it. And so on the outside, we have to have those moments. And I think Mm. what can be, I think one of the gifts my book gives to people, because again, capital C cult is realizing that like what you went through in your regular Christian group might be just as traumatizing as what I went through in a cult. Mm. And Mm -hmm. it's okay for you to realize that. And it's okay for you to realize that the shame is not yours and it's okay for you to have a huge level of trauma from something that somebody fancy has not called a cult, but mm-hmm. you understand like those mirror experiences. Mm, yes. And so for people listening, if they, let's say they want, they see a group or maybe a spiritual group or something they want to get involved with, but are hesitant, what are some signs they could look for that, oh, this is a cult? Yeah, so one of the biggest realizations I've had about cults, and this is Dr. Yanya Lalich, is cults are always about labor, right? And high control groups are always about labor. And so at the end of the day, asking yourself what you're giving and what you're what you're getting in return is very important, right? If you are giving all of your free time and what you're getting in return is a sense of feeling connected, that's not good enough, right? You you really mm-hmm. need to be checking what you're getting in return. And that's why corporations in the US are not allowed to accept volunteer work, right? Mm-hmm. Like specifically to help with that. Um Another thing I think, especially with religions, right, is we talked about thought-stopping cliches, Mm -hmm. right? And religions are not all cults, but all religions have a point where you can't understand it. And so you must then take this on faith. Mm -hmm. This is not to say faith is a bad thing, but understanding, right? Sort of keeping track of how many thought-stopping cliches you are given when you Mm -hmm. are asking questions that can be another really good sign. Um, And then another thing I like to talk about is your time, right? I think anything can become a cult. Any idea can be used. For lolcat memes. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. Hey, you're cutting out. Can you still hear me? Yes. It's like you, you were saying a bunch of great things. And I'm like, I have to stop her because I want this reset. Um, where should, okay. should I start at the time or yes that was where you're at just wait a few seconds because I think your video is also kind of freezing so let's just if you could just just say something so I know that when it speeds yeah, back you, up is it moving now you're not moving yet no it's still not moving stop the video does that help okay yeah, keep just... talking and just can you hear me now yes i can hear you and it's, it sounds okay so you can okay. you can start back at i think it, yeah you said it was time okay yeah so the third thing i really like for people to focus on is your time i think anything can become a cult any idea can be radicalized can be used to radicalize you um and so something to keep track of is your time cults do not like to let you have time to think, right? So uh, Brene Brown is my example, right? I love Brene Brown. I think everything she says is, is wonderful and smart and has research. But if you told me that all you did was read Brene Brown books and listen to Brene Brown podcasts and watch her Netflix specials and then go to like a Brene Brown study group, 
about organizations every Wednesday night, like I would be a little bit concerned that you are in the cult of Brene Brown. And what so often happens, right, is a cult is just a really strong group where the logic broke down and like all of the things can be there and it doesn't necessarily go bad. Great. Now mm -hmm. you're just in a high control, sometimes inspiring group. But if it does break down, the logic can get really bad. So our desire when we find something that meets our needs is to throw ourselves into it and keeping track of how much of your free time you keep for yourself is a really good way to protect yourself against coercive groups. Mm, I see. Yeah, no, I love how, yeah, how you mentioned like the labor and then all the time you dedicate and like, you know, the isolating of yourself and only exposing yourself to a certain kind of information and being around only a certain like group of people and not being open or exposing yourself to those different ideas and experiences and yeah like cults prey on a lot of our needs like our, our needs for community our needs for like meeting and purpose and like this need for like certainty or to have structure in our lives but it can be taken to such an extreme level that it can just completely control us Yes. And, you know, another thing if like listeners are in America, right, which is American culture is very polarizing. It is mm. very black, white, good, bad. It is very isolationist, right? So American mm -hmm. culture has so much of the things built in that are tools for cults and tools for mind control. Mm -hmm. And so it's not surprising that America produces some of the most cults, right? And so- yeah. Another thing I think for people, just individuals, as we know that we are living through sort of the culting of America, a way to protect yourself is living in the gray, right? And especially understanding that values do not have an inherent good or bad, right? I grew up in a group that weaponized love and absolutely decimated 5,000 children's lives, right? Mm. So like anything can be weaponized and anytime like anytime you are sure about anything that's your blind spot so i i'm like this i'm a very polarizing person i love black yeah. and white i love gurus and mentors to tell me what to do and mm -hmm. i have to fight that all the time mm, yes yes now i'm glad you you mentioned that because i was about to ask you like you know how can we protect ourselves from that and I think the core of it is yes that gray area and you know saying how that blind spot of oh we're certain so we have to put on our critical thinking lens and a lot of people don't want to do that because it's uncomfortable it's comfortable to feel that certainty and to not question and to conform yes. and, go, and go along and as I've met with other survivors um, you know, from Bob Jones University and from the independent fundamental Baptist movement, there are times where like, you know, we have these weird conflicted feelings of like, we realize the trauma, the abuse and the harm, but there are some things at the same time we still kind of miss about it. Like there are times where like, you know what, I miss someone just telling me what to think, what to do, what to believe. And I didn't have to figure this out by myself. It's so hard. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh -huh. in my next book, I have a whole section called Cults Do Some Things Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have a survey on how culty is your organization. Mm. And I say, look, like you don't want to be above 70%, right? That's That's the danger zone. But if you're under like a 20 or 30%, you're not doing a great job either. Mm -hmm. um, same thing for veterans, right? Like you ask a veteran to tell you about their experience in the military and they will give you horror story, horror story, horror story, and then say, but I had the time of my life and I made the best friends ever, mm -hmm. right? And, and really, so two things you mentioned there, right? Clarity is the reason people join cults and stay in cults. And clarity is one of the things that drives human beings. And it's mm -hmm. also one of the things we're like destined to never have. 
right? But like, that's what, why we all want to fall in love at first sight. That's why we all want to have a religious experience that just makes it obvious what the right way is, right? And we mm -hmm. just don't have that, you know? Mm. And in Uncultured, I literally give you me at a um, at American Soldiers Memorial Service, right? Wondering what the terrorists that died, right? Like what their people are thinking and saying about them. Mm -hmm. And like, just not saying, I think the terrorists were right, right, right. But that grain of ability to hold space for like, if other humans believe as strongly as I do, there's a chance, right? There's a chance mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is from General Stanley McChrystal, who got fired from the army for criticizing his leader that he wasn't supposed to question. Oh. Um, and one of his favorite quotes is, or one of my favorite quotes of his says, soldiers, if we're honest, we don't know what side of history we're fighting on. Mm. You know, and I think when you are ready to fight and die for something, that's a pretty strong level of belief you have mm -hmm. that you're on the right side, but still holding that ability to question is it's just literally what's going to keep you the safest, right? And then to put it yes. in military intelligence terms, the blind spot, we call it what you don't know, you don't know. And mm -hmm. like, that's where all the things that kill you hide. Mm -hmm. And so just even just knowing that you have a blind spot keeps you so much safer mm. than complete certainty. Yes. And I think um, one thing, a concept I, I learned in a social psychology class um it's called like group polarization and it's when we only surround ourselves with people who think or believe exactly like us so like our previous oh, yeah. previous beliefs we've had become more extreme and we become more devoted to them when we interact and are around people who are exactly like us and i think that's where you mentioned it's important to critically think it's important to consider other ideas because if we don't we're on that path to ex extremism and cultic experiences. Oh yeah. There's this uh, really fun game and all of your listeners can do it at their next like work off sites. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have a team of people and you, the game is everyone plays uh, rock, paper, scissors with each other. Right. And then whoever loses goes behind the person and is on that team. And then mm -hmm. you battle the next person. So eventually your entire room is on two teams and everyone is just screaming, right? And, and yeah. in that moment, those people are so dedicated to their team, to the random outcome of a win or lose, right? And, mm -hmm. and you, just, you just let the adults get into this. And then after it, you stop and you talk about like how interesting that was, right? To, mm -hmm. to see how quickly we polarized ourselves. Yes. Also, I say to see like how fun that was. And how like of an energy burst that gave you and how connected you felt to like a random stranger who was on your team because of a, a random game of chance. Um, and that mm -hmm. gives you like the tiniest inkling, I think, into how like cult mentality works and how mm -hmm. quickly and irrationally, but strongly you can bond to other people and to like ideas. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I know we're getting closer to the end of the interview, which I'm really sad about, but I really want you to give you time to talk about your book, Uncultured. Yeah, so Uncultured is my memoir, right? It is the story of me growing up in this cult. It's the first 15 years of my life. Then I'm able to escape and I have to try to integrate myself into the world. Eventually, I end up in the army, right? But it's also the story of just group behavior and programming. And when I set out to write this book, I was trying to do one idea, which was this group psychology concept that as human beings, we're willing to do almost anything to fit into our groups. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I can show you that in an obvious cult. And then I can show you that in maybe a socially accepted cult. Um, and hopefully you question that in your life 
now I'm working on a second book called The Culting of America, which is, you know, the first book is a story. The second book is much more a, a sociology book. Um, mm -hmm. Still kind of looking at all the different parts of programming and control that exist, yes, in cults and extreme groups, but also exist in all of our organizations and all around us. Um, and if people want to find me, the best place until it gets banned is TikTok. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. Where, um, yeah, on TikTok, I'm just a crazy army Harvard cult lady who like tells <laughs> you all about things you think are cultish, but then shows you where they are in your normal life. Um, mm -hmm. And also I read a lot of books to people and I knit at you the whole time. So <laughs> we, we have lots of fun on TikTok. <laughs> Oh my, yeah. So I've greatly enjoyed this conversation and I just wanted to give you the option. Is there anything else you would like to talk about? I feel like we could do like several episodes talking about so many things, but because <laughs> just, oh my gosh, like all these, um, all the years you've dedicated to like learning and all the knowledge, but is there anything else you would like to talk about? Yeah, I guess I would say, you know, on a personal level to anyone who has come from a cult or come from trauma, you know, uncultured also kind of is the story of me, like, escaping this trauma quite successfully and believing that I can run fast enough, literally, I'm a competitive runner in the army, <laughs> but like I can run fast enough and I can get high enough and become successful enough that one day I'll be fixed. And of course, that is not how trauma works. That's not how life works. And part of the story of the book, and I think ever, ever more in my life as I deconstruct is just understanding that like, you know, healing happens when we accept that we can't change the past. Um, for me, like I had to start talking about it. And I really think if you've had any kind of closed off group experience, you simply cannot heal without talking about it. So for everyone that's still living closeted, like, please come out of the closet. It's so much better on this side. You will lose some friends and family, but mm -hmm. you will have oh, yeah. more friends and family. Um, and, you know, just kind of realizing that like, look, I have had a lot of success. My book was talked about in the New York Times. I got a medal from a president. Like I'm a working author, but also some days I can't get out of bed, right? Mm. Like sometimes we're always still going to have this stuff. And I mm. think the beautiful life that we make afterwards is with all of those pieces of the painful things that we put together. Mm. So that's going to be my personal level of encouragement and you know another thing we talk about a lot on TikTok is surviving trauma and like what that looks like in an everyday life mm, um, because yes. the narrative we get in society right is like oh you're fixed now cool and it's, it's just not like that so I always want to take the time to say that to people uh no like thank you so much for saying that because I, I relate to what you were saying of like um wanting to reach this level of like in, in quotes being fixed or a you know it becomes another form of devotion of oh I have to reach this level and do this or do that but learning that you know what and being present and enjoying the process and I think it it takes time it's gonna take a long time for me <laughs> I think to work through that but I think that's okay and for me personally, I've been trying to tell myself, you don't have to do anything for anyone but yourself. Yes. And that's so important, right? Because mm -hmm. one of the things that cults and high control groups do to us by definition is you're never living in the moment, right? You're never idle. You're never relaxed because everything yeah. is towards that sacred assumption. Everything is for the future. This is how ends justifies the means mentality works. Mm -hmm. And so that has also been a huge part of my healing process uh, was actually coming to this point where I was like, just this year, like, oh, I checked every box I set out to check. That was actually triggered a major depression, right? Mm. And then I had to work through like being mission focused 
is one of the things we're trained to do in mm-hmm. cults and in the military and slowing down sucks because that's when your trauma comes out to say hi that's when all the issues that you put aside for yeah. so long you realize are still there right yeah. but eventually yes to your point like you get there i'm now at the point where i think my days are happier than they are traumatic and triggered and hard and i mm-hmm. think a big part of that came from not having this mission focused mentality anymore Mm, mm. um which is another thing in american culture we are taught to do right but i i find myself saying exactly what you said like the only people i have to answer to are tom daniela young and our child and Mm -hmm. nobody else needs to matter right Mm, um because it's like we have to learn to be selfish again right? We didn't, <laughs> we, we were taught to be so unselfish and we got to put that back in. Right? So. Mm, yes. And like, it, it, it is easier said than done. I still struggle with it, but I know you're a lot farther along in your own healing journey. So I'm so, so glad of like the progress that you've made and sharing your journey through your memoir and you're continuing to write and really speak out about it. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing and will continue to do. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Of course. And for anyone listening, please go follow Daniela on social media, go buy her book, and I will link those in the show notes. And this was Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon. And the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.